Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode, my guest talks about the revenue ops role within a new startup growing tech company and really talks about how this role allows you to break down the traditional silos of sales marketing product and how important it is for a growing company. And the reason why it's important is because she says without customers, you don't have a revenue. So you don't lose sight of why you're there and it helps to bridge the gap within the organization. So really important conversation there, sharing her experience in role, but also how the organization had to pivot very quickly. It was do or die when the pandemic hit. As a sales professional who has led SDRs and BDRs, new business, customer success teams throughout her career, she thrives on the intersection of process and people and has recently moved to a revenue operations role where she is supporting the sales organization to scale and grow revenue. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Michelle Schifrin. Hi, Janice. So nice to meet you and be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, it's wonderful to have you here. It was such an honor meeting you in, in London. Um, so it's so nice to actually get you on, on the podcast. Now, I'm particularly interested in. You you told me that it was like a 30-day turnaround when uh, the pandemic hit, you know, for a, a new startup company and mm. a company that's reliant on engagement. Suddenly, part of that engagement has been taken away. So tell me more about the, the organization, the platform, and the 30-day turnaround. What happened? Yeah, definitely. So back in July of last year, I joined a company called Hubelo, which is a virtual event platform. Um, and prior to being an event tech platform, Hubelo supported in-person events. Um, and so like so many companies, when the pandemic hit, their business was directly impacted. And what they were doing for in-person events was leveraging technology to create intelligent matchmaking. So that's always been a part of Hubelo's fabric and DNA, if you will. Um, and so they said, okay, like we, we have to pivot. We have to reinvent ourselves. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of come back to that in a minute of why that's really inspiring to me. But they looked at their technology platform um, and they created and launched a product in, in really under 30 days. Um, and I think when you see that kind of innovation and when you see that kind of persistence and determination to move through something as difficult as the pandemic, you know, there's something really special there. So, um, and this is a space that could not be more relevant and more timely. Um, obviously, during the thick of the pandemic, we didn't have a lot of options. We needed to figure out how to come together as, you know, 
individual communities, as businesses. So lots of different, you know, lots of different requirements for it. And obviously we are now in this transformation of what work looks like and what remote work looks like. And so we're really just, I I always say, we're kind of in our, um, you know, in our infancy trying to navigate a lot of this and trying to understand what do people really want? What do people really need? Um, But I think at the end of the day, being a virtual company, you can help provide access to so many more people around, you know, important content, things that people couldn't access before um, if the only option was an in-person option. So um, that's something that really motivates me, just thinking about, you know, the future, again, the future of work, the future of how we can all come together and sort of, you know, democratize information because of platforms like Kubelo. I mean, there's so many um, things I'd like to pick up on. Do you think that being a virtual company actually helped you to do that that quick turnaround pivot from the in-person to the kind of solely virtual? Did that help or did that hinder? I mean, I think it helped having that mindset and wearing that hat. You know, we were kind of ready to go and, yeah, move, move in that direction. So what actually happened that 30 days then? What what was the the process of of moving from one thing to another because it's a massive shift. It is a massive shift and I'm not certainly not um probably privy to all of the details that went mm-hmm. on um you know within the the engineering team and the product team and and the founder but I think they just looked at their business and they said, "Hey, what do we have today and what do we do really well and how can we take some of that and translate it into, you know, a, a more virtual offering?" Mm-hmm. Um and so again, that was the the engagement piece and I think that's where Hubelo has really shined thinking about how do you create a more engaging event? Because the reality is even in-person events can be kind of lonely. If you don't know anybody, even if you're amongst a lot of people, you can still feel totally alone. And I think the same thing applies in a virtual world. Attending a virtual event can be really lonely. And so figuring out how to bridge that gap through engagement opportunities, intelligent matchmaking, um, you know, opportunities to have more small, intimate, curated conversations, even in a virtual world, um, those are really important for making these, these settings valuable. So I think it was definitely them looking at what are our strengths and then how do we apply that to the, the current reality that we're in. So as the, the head of Chief Revenue, there's, there's been a massive adaption prior to you arriving, but surely you're still on that path in that you may be growing into new customers because now you you have pivoted, you know where you're going, you've got a different um, business plan, but actually you're going to have to grow that because the, as the, the business started, it was one thing and now it's another thing. So you either yeah. some things you're starting again in terms of your go-to-market strategy or other things you're actually transitioning some of your customers. So how is that affecting what you're doing at your end? 
Yeah, um, it's constantly changing, um, which, as I was talking to you about earlier, you know, that means we're constantly learning and we're constantly looking for, you know, trends that are working and patterns that we're seeing, you know, amongst how people want to engage with virtual platforms, who is engaging uh, with virtual platforms. And so it's all about trying to look for um, what's working in our business, like where are we seeing success, and then thinking about, okay, how do you double down on that and how do you apply, you know, a process um, or a workflow to make it easier to go do those things? Um, so what happens after somebody has a, a super successful event? You know, what do we want to do? How do we want to capitalize on that to ensure that somebody can go out and create another one? So, um, yes, all the learnings just make, you know, it's a constant, oh, my goodness, where do we where do we go from here? But it is changing pretty rapidly, again, as the world is changing. And so right now, you know, people want to go back and they want to be in person, which makes total sense. We all want to go back and be in person. Um, and, you know, there's an equilibrium to that. Or we're being more selective about what we do in person, and then we still have to be putting on really engaging, really interesting events um, throughout the year for other groups of people to be able to participate in. So just trying to collect all that and then, um, yeah, apply it to the business is something that we're constantly doing. So can you give me a, a case study, an example of um, something that you um, did that you think, wow, this is really working. How can we double down on that? How can we create more revenue um, from this? What do we need to do? Have you got an example? Yeah, I think that, you know, when it comes to events, like you've got people that are looking to plan an event right now, you've got people that are thinking about, again, like, what does, what does, you know, a virtual event really look like? And I, I think a lot of people tried to do a virtual event during the pandemic, right? Um, and I think if you really pull people, everyone said, yeah, it was okay. And so they're looking for, you know, how do we do this better? Um, what's the next iteration of all of this? And so one of the things that we've tried to do is just create an experience for people to, like, come to our website um, and and figure out and meet them where they are in their journey. So do you want to go plan an event today? Do you want to go experience an event? And so we've got lots of different ways for people to come in, to test our product, to talk to us live. Um, and so I think that that's been one thing that, that has really worked is just to meet the customer where they are in their buying journey and in their event planning. Um, because event planning can, can potentially, you know, that can happen over many months. It just depends on the scope and the size of the event. So what practical strategy would you offer to enable your buyers to buy then? I'm not an event planner. So, um, you know, I can only sort of speak from what I've seen. I think having a really good idea and a good sense of, um, you know, what that what that experience looks like is going to be really important. So as an example, Janice, a lot of people come to us and, you know, they say we want to do a hybrid event. Okay, great. Like, what does hybrid mean? Um, and I think that that is a great example where that definition is still really being, it's being fleshed out, it's being scoped out. So one of the things that is always helpful is, is somebody has a really clear idea of what that means to them so that we can then help them identify, hey, is this going to be a good fit? Here's how we can support you and some of your goals and some of the objectives that you have for your event. Um, but it, it's also a really nebulous term. And so, you know, okay, do you want to be 
do you want to have an in-person event and stream it at the same time for a virtual audience? Like that's one option of what virtual means. Or do you want to put on an in-person event and then take a couple days and release it later in sort of a post-production world and be able to cast a much wider net to a virtual audience? Or maybe there's a third or a fourth option. So, um, you know, again, I, I don't expect the buyer to necessarily have all that information. Um, we're all trying to... If you go out and you look, there, there's a plethora of information right now that's trying to help define that. But that's one strategy. If you don't kind of know what that vision is, um, you know, it, it will just make it much more difficult to go and purchase software to support that. You talked about you've you've probably learned more in the last nine nine months yeah. with a startup um, company in transition. Um, and then you have perhaps in the nice last nine years. So share what you meant by that. What what are the things that you've had to really upskill? What are the things that you've discovered about yourselves? What are the real successes um, that you've had in sales and, and why that may be? So share your experience. Yeah, well, I think, again, crazy time and place in life. So um, I actually... In, in an earlier part of my career, I was working from home before it was trendy um, and before, I mean, people used to say, what do you mean you, you work from home? They all would scratch their heads a little bit. Um, but in my, yeah, my early career, I was working remotely for a very early stage company. Um, and so fast forward, you know, I've done this, but this is really the first time that as a global workforce, we are trying to figure out how to work together, how to communicate um, and so a lot of the learnings are, how do I, like, I think I'm a pretty good communicator and then something will happen. And again, I'll be like, wow, did I, did I really mess that up? Was I not clear? How could I have done that better? Um, and so I think the first part is learning to work in an early stage company where everything is moving very quickly. How do you get really, really crisp on, um, on your language? Somebody, um, I think it was one of our investors, they actually said something that was a really good learning for me, like try to remove Try to remove, um, what did he say? Don't leave any room for interpretation, if you will, which, you know, by nature, language is supposed to be interpretive. Um, so it's a little bit of a conundrum there. Um, but just, again, a, a really good example of trying to be crisp and clear in what you need and what your expectations are. Um, you know, the second part is working in a global environment. So um, our co the, the company started in India, um, so a huge part of our company is based in India, and then we have people all over the world. Um, so learning how to work asynchronously is also a big part of that challenge. Um, and then, yeah, I think just being in a space and in a sales cycle that is new, that is ever-changing, um, you know, you really have to have a good pulse on what's happening in the field. And so I try to talk to customers a couple of times a month. Um, we actually have an initiative where we're constantly talking to our customers, uh, trying to, you know, learn how the sales, how is the sales process, how is running your first event, what could we be doing better? And I know that sounds pretty simple, um, but it's actually really helped me stay connected um, as somebody that isn't necessarily talking to prospects or customers on a daily basis. Um, and then, yeah, I think that just, again, when you're trying to come up with playbooks and recipes that work, you're constantly tweaking and you're constantly iterating. Um, and so the other thing is um, being in this role and being more of an operations role, we have to measure everything. Because um, if you can't measure it, you can't optimize 
for it. And so how do you balance um, how do you balance testing and being really agile and also wanting to measure at the same time? So those are just some of the areas and the ways that I'm learning. Um, but if you can measure it, then you can learn from it and keep going. Let's talk a bit about um, diversity. Um, your, you know, your career and your, your experience. What, what do you think has has changed, or whether there is more room to encourage more diversity in um, B two B sales? Well, I think there's always more opportunity. We can always get better, um, and we, you know, have to celebrate how far we've come. Um, I think for me, being a leader in sales, being a woman, I, it's very important to me to be a part of building the pipeline that I want to see. So if there are, um, if I want to see more leaders out there that look like me, then I need to be a part of building that process. Um, if I want to see more diversity across the board, um, then we need to start earlier. I think sales in particular is not a profession that is socialized at a very young age. Like, hey, that's, you know, you can go into sales um, and you can basically be, you know, a, a mini CEO and you can have a lot of autonomy and there's a lot of financial mobility that you can have in this career. And so we just have to start talking about it earlier. Um, so I think, again, one of the awesome things um, that's come out of the last couple of years is I'm talking to talent that I would likely never have talked to um, because we are, you know, a, a remote first company. We're able to talk and look at talent, you know, outside of our geographical areas. There's so much value in that, and there's so much value um in building more diverse teams and companies because of that. And as a result, um, you know, kind of moving a little bit of off the diversity track, this is going to apply to everybody. It just puts so much more onus on leaders and companies to figure out how do you train effectively um, in a remote world. Um, you know, you lose, and especially in sales, when you're not all working together and you can't hear these conversations or turn to your coworker and say, hey, how are you leveraging this piece of technology? Can I do this better? Can I do this faster? Things take longer. Um, and so, again, I think we're we're in our infancy and in trying to figure all of this out. Um but I guess to go back to your original question on diversity and B2B sales, um, there are some really, really wonderful things happening and some wonderful voices being leveraged. If you look on you know, LinkedIn, you can see the sales community is really, really diverse. Um, and so that's really inspiring to see. And we just have to keep doing more of it. I, I think you made a really interesting point in terms of not only um, – the onboarding but ongoing communication that you have when you're working in a virtual global team and yeah. making sure that the message is really crystal clear um but you've got to allow for cultural diversity because that's why you're bringing that in so it's a really interesting balance between in allowing people that space to um, collaborate and bring in new ideas, but also training on a particular system or process so that everyone's all aligned doing the same thing at the same time. So how do you balance those two things? Yeah, it's super difficult. Um, and I think as you were asking the question, I, I think you just have to lead from a place of curiosity and a place um, of empathy and, you know, hey, how does this work 
you know, in your culture. Um, and don't assume, don't make any assumptions. Um, and be thoughtful about, you know, how do things sound over Slack? Um, you know, what's your, t- there's no tone. Um, and so that's something that's been really challenging for me. Um, but I think it all just has to come from a place of, of learning and deep curiosity to understand the way in which different cultures operate. Um, so we do a lot of that here of, hey, you know, tell me about, I mean, tell me about your culture. What's acceptable? Um, this felt different or weird to me. Um, how did it feel to you? And I think it it can also just be a really wonderful opportunity to have open dialogue about how we were all raised and how we think about um, showing up in the working world. But it's very hard. (laughs) (laughs) So there has been a real uh, expansion and focus on uh, chief revenue officers and revenue ops. We're moving away from sales and marketing to now the kind of revenue um, overview. So what is your your personal experience and view on how that's going to develop in line with where our customers and buyers want, want us to be? What's your your view? Well, yes, I am, I am new in this role and in this space. And I think one of the things I like the most about this role is Revenue operations really sits in the middle of an organization if done right and i'm I'm still learning it can be one of the most cross functional roles in an organization um so marketing product sales anywhere where there's this overlap or this intersection of how it impacts driving revenue, this world sits um and so I think when you have a group of people that's focused on that it always keeps what the customer experience and what that journey looks like and feels like. Because, of course, if we're all working in our silos and we're not even thinking about, okay, um, what's going to be the customer experience? And so, um, you know, by having this world sit in the middle of it, you can hopefully create not necessarily a singular, I don't think a buying journey. It's not linear anymore. We all know that people are buying and evaluating in their own ways all the time. Um, but we can at least be always wearing our customer hats and thinking about what their experience is going to be and designing a process that works for them and not that works for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so making it about the customer because it's got revenue in the title how can you make sure that you don't lose sight of the customer because you do have you know the chief customer officers but this is called the chief revenue officer and that seems to be the thing that's growing strengths so there could be a danger that sales organizations are still reflecting inwards rather than outwards so how can you make sure that you don't lose sight of the important customer well you don't have any revenue without customers so to me it's like they go hand in hand um yeah i mean you can drive it doesn't matter um in that particular case like they're not mutually exclusive so again there's revenue and all lots of parts of the business is thinking are thinking about revenue how do we drive revenue you know from product from our sales organization um how do we drive how do we drive revenue within the product um but they all still ultimately don't exist without somebody that's buying it which is our customer so that's great so let me change it up a little bit if you're on a desert island on your own michelle what one thing would you take with you 
This is a tough question for me, Janice. Um, yeah. A really tough question. And ultimately, aside from survival, like things that I would bring to survive, um, you know, something to create fire or a knife, um, I think I would want to learn. If I was on a desert island all by myself, um, I would want to be learning. So I don't think I could build a musical instrument for myself. I'm not that talented. So I would probably bring a guitar. I think I could teach myself how to play the guitar. I don't think I could build myself one. Um, so, yeah, something to do, something to play, maybe something to get people's attention to get me off the island. Um, but I think I'd bring a guitar. For some reason, I had in my mind, you know how um, in school they have the recorder as like the first instrument for kids. Yeah. And it yes. makes such an awful noise, you know, And it, but it is a uh, kind of a training instrument for several other things. Well, if you had like the drums or the recorder, then it doesn't really matter because there's no one to listen to you. <laughs> so totally. I would imagine that your guitar playing is a lot better than that, Michelle. I don't know why that came into my mind. It just did. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think of Hot Cross Buns. That was the first song on the recorder, which sounds pretty awful to your point. No, I can't play. I can't play the guitar, so it would be, you know, long days of self-teaching. So yeah. I might sound as bad as that. So how can listeners get hold of you, Michelle? Oh, you can find me on on LinkedIn. Um, my profile is there. My email is in there. Um, you can find me at michelle at hubelow.com. So if you want to talk about how to plan a better virtual event, one that's engaging, um, and one that you can actually learn and get some data and analytics on how it went so you can continue to evolve in this ever-changing space, give me a call and I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm, I'm really happy to see that that is the kind of sweet spot, the, the data and the analytics, and that's what you've grown from and not, not lost that at Hubelo. So that's, that's wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being on Scale Your Sales podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the captioned show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.